0: I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Sangram Vajray. Sangram is the chief evangelist and co-founder at Terminus. He's also the author of two account-based marketing books, one of which is coming out very soon, a keynote speaker, a three-time CMO, the host of the daily Flip My Funnel podcast, and honestly, the founder of the Flip My Funnel movement and really this category creator for ABM marketing. And in this episode, Sangram and I are talking a lot about what it was like to create that Flip My Funnel account-based marketing movement, why you don't need to market to 10,000 people, and what the importance of authenticity in your marketing really is. And make sure you're sticking around to the end where I'll give my top takeaways and recap and so you can think about marketing differently and implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Sangram. So before we kind of dive into talking about B2B marketing, account-based marketing, and a whole host of marketing-related topics, one of the things that I think is really interesting is you're, I know, a co-founder at Terminus, and you have a title of chief evangelist. And I think you oftentimes refer to yourself as an accidental evangelist. How did that happen? What does that all mean?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's really an accident. Um, so, as a founder, I think your number one job is to to just get everybody excited about whatever idea you have, and you want to start building a community around that. And in in many ways, that's exactly what I ended up doing, and became the face of the movement more so than uh, than just the company. And and that that was really exciting because one on one of the articles I read. Uh, was like, hey, Sangram is the godfather of ABM. I'm like, wow, that just makes me sound so old and you know from from somewhere else, a different era. Uh, but it, it also reminded me of the fact that you know when you put so much hard time in creating value out there, you actually do accidentally become an evangelist of it even before you know it. And when you your when I became, my, I I just changed my role. Uh, from a lot of operational to be just out there, given writing books and speaking around this problem um, and and solution around that, it, it just became obvious. So I changed my title as chief evangelist, and everybody was like, "Dude, you are an evangelist from day one. There is nothing new in this title." So I think it was it was really favorably you know received by the market, and I feel I just fell in love with this idea. But I do feel I fell in with accident um because it wasn't something i was trying to be uh, i was just trying to just share the word and who knew that that actually is a role now
0: yeah i find i see that we're you know finding more and more people that tend to have that role i talked to someone recently um on the show who's the chief evangelist for alexa at amazon and similar situation kind of fell into that role as well
1: yeah it and it is it is really a dna um, you know, on the on the Flip My podcast, we interviewed Guy Kawasaki, who actually was the first evangelist, if you will, on a role perspective um, for Apple. And in his definition, it is the purest form of sales. And I, that was really interesting for me, because I don't even talk about terminus majority of the times I talk about ABM, I just talk about the best practices and things you should do. And his point was like, hey, look, when you do that, when you don't overtly talk about your product, people already know which company you represent. Uh, When you overtly don't make it about yourself or your company, then people actually appreciate that, hey, look, they really genuinely want to help me. And and that, in a way, is the purest form of sales uh, without having a sales quota or a sales commission or a sales pipeline to work for. Um, His role was created just to do that for Macintosh back in the days with Steve Jobs. So I feel like, Hearing him say that, I think it was really interesting and encouraging for for some of us who are trying to do that.
0: So really one of the things that you're out there talking all about all the time is account-based marketing. So how would you define ABM today? What does that mean to you?
1: Oh, to me, ABM is B2B. Um, and that kind of falls into the the book that we wrote. So here's what really happened. In 20, excuse me, in 2016, we wrote the very first book on account-based marketing and Wiley's helped us publish it. And, and that was great. At that time, hardly few people were talking about it. Uh, we, we started doing this conference. It's called Flip My Funnel. Now we do like a yearly because it's, it's gone. like a thousand people attend that conference and stuff. We started doing the podcast, all these to just build the community and excitement around it. But after that, what, what we really realized was, oh my goodness, it is not just acquisition. People are running ABM campaigns to accelerate their pipeline. People are running ABM campaigns to increase their their deal size, their expansion. There's upselling and cross-selling happening. Essentially, across the entire customer journey from from acquisition to expansion, people are actually using ABM as a strategy because they know which accounts to go after. They now know that there's more leverage there. Especially, imagine this, whenever a deal comes in and, and let's say it's an opportunity, Typically, what happens in most organization is, oh, marketing, stop communicating to my with my deal. You need to stop your newsletter and nurtures. I got this. That's what a salesperson says. And as a matter of fact, what we realized and found in the study and in the last four years of thousands of companies we, who we have been working with is this idea that, oh, my goodness, That's
0: exactly
1: when you should double down as a marketer, which means you should give an air cover to your sales team by doing ads or direct mail and get all the other people involved in the decision making process aware of your brand. Because guess what? That company who's in your pipeline raised their hand and said that they're in market and they're ready to buy and they're going to buy from you or your competitor. There's no better time for you as an organization to jump in, all in with that and do whatever it takes to help the salespeople close deal. So so that became a really interesting use case. And then the other use case became really, really cool was this idea of expansion. You already know the customers that you want to go after. Um, that, that are your customers, you already know what works and what doesn't. And let's say you have a new product line or you're this. Marketing needs to be involved in it. And and we have one of uh, one of the folks that we work with, uh, Jillian Gartner from Thomson Writers. Her win rate for those deals are about 95%. Let me say for people who may have just kind of tuned in just now, 95% win, win rate. So it's possible. crazy, right? So so in that scenario, that's why we ended up writing the second book is like, no, no, ABM is not just this amazing idea to just be in front of the right people at the right time. You actually can use ABM across the entire B2B uh, go-to-market strategy. And and that became a a thing for us.
0: So I want to dive into your comment around, you know, air cover for your sales team, because I've heard that before, right, as a marketer. Where, you know, the opportunity's been created and they're like, please stop talking to the marketing. How have you seen organizations kind of work in tandem with their sales team to change that mindset that's really been ingrained in them for so long?
1: Oh, and it's a great, it's a fantastic question, Stephanie, because I think it is exactly the root cause. And and I think the root cause if people really went down there is this, is is this phrase that we try to use or the word we try to use, which is trust between sales and marketing. I think it is the first indicator, if not of many, that there's no trust between marketing and sales. There is this lack of faith that marketing is going to do anything to help them. And I, as a marketer, have said this, you probably have heard me say that, and I get criticized for this, which is fine. I, I think the value of marketing is defined by sales. And I say that with a lot of heart and, and, and a lot of therapy in the last 15 years of me being in a marketing career uh, at Salesforce and Pardot and going through the acquisitions and starting Terminus. I'm a marketer at heart. And it took me a lot of courage to accept this. But I think in B2B, if you're a marketer, you we all need to accept the fact that we exist we absolutely exist because we are there to help incrementally or exponentially grow the business and and the business is through sales and and sales not just sales customer success so through go to market teams so if they say we don't love we don't think marketing can help me that just means that they they're saying that we don't trust what you do and and i think that's why marketing roles change So the way to overcome that, once you fully recognize that, hey, look, your job is to help them, that's really why you're there. And if they close more deals, you get more bonus. I mean, it's really going to work that way. So the way I've seen some companies do it, and we can just use the example of Jillian from Thompson Riders, they have a, literally, they found a few salespeople that are really good relationship with, and they are, they are like, they're ready to do new things. They're okay to try new things. So they didn't go and tell the entire organization that, hey, we're going to do this. They just got a few reps and said, here's what we're going to test. Let's let's uh, start experimenting. And that's a key phrase. I think if you say, we have a new program we're going to launch, we have a new campaign we're going to launch, I think it freaks people out, especially sales team. So instead of that, say, hey, we're going to just do this experiment. And in this experiment, we're going to, we, you don't have to do anything. Here's what we're going to do. And we need your input if this is Okay. We want to make sure that every one of your decision makers that are part of your buying committee, they're going to see these type of ads, or they're going to get this type of direct mail, or because all of these deals that you're closing on, they're in Boston. So how about we do a dinner or an event in Boston? You go with that level of intentionality with the, to a sales rep. Once you know what they are working on, which deals they are, where they are, they will love you. They will hug you. They will give you they will open up and tell you what can what they, they need to help. So I think it really starts with marketing, giving the salesperson some thoughts and idea of like, hey, look, I really care. And I have these information data points that I can use to help you. And I won't do anything unless you want me to do it. But here are the five things I can do. But that conversation doesn't happen, Stephanie, in most organizations.
0: Well, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important for sales and marketing. I know... Saster says this, right? Like you should be the mom and dad of revenue. Like how closely do you work together? How much are you aligned? Because I think that's one thing I know I've tried to do in my career in B2B is really, you know, become very aligned with the sales organization and really see it as a team, which builds that trust, which I think helps overcome some of the challenges you can face as you want to, you know, help market more during the actual sales process.
1: Yeah, and I I look at this as not an alignment. I feel like alignment, Stephanie, I feel like almost is a bad word because alignment means rules. Using that family uh, analogy from Sastra is like, I don't want to be aligned with my wife um, just for the sake of it. I want to be one team. I want to feel like we are on the same team. I know that somebody has my back, right? It's a different level of trust when you use the right words. I I even um, say that you should use the words like, like the prospecting, for example, should be should be completely avoided because when you say prospecting, let me ask you this straight up, Stephanie. Do you like to be prospected by anybody?
0: Absolutely not, right? Everyone hates to be marketed, especially marketers. <laughs>
1: right so people hate that and we use that word so openly and easy like yeah we have like 50 prospects well you just told me that they have no value to you because they're not your customer and and when you really ask this and here here's where it hopefully it will give some people some chills and uh, some reality check the email that you send out to your customers there are five 10 people looking at those, making sure everything is right in it. We should not oversend emails, we should not do this, let's create value, let's make sure it's given to our customers. We take so much care in the emails that go out to the customer newsletter, the customer list. How much time do we really think about and how many, how much time do we really care about uh, about emails that we send to our quote unquote prospects? And I call them future customers. And the reality is. Zero. In many ways, we just keep sending emails over emails over, we have an event, we have a webinar, we have an ebook, we just keep sending in hopes that somebody would bite and then we would take care of them when they become a customer. It's, It's the exact opposite with ABM. It's like, no, because you're doing account based, which means you should have a list of accounts to go after. So the emails that you're going to send to are the people that you care about. And if you care about those people, you're not going to spam them. You're going to send them very relevant, very specific, very personalized content. And that matters.
0: Well, and I I think that's a great point because that's something I know like I do at Limivate here. We do a ton. We do only ABM and everything that we send out to future customers, as you're saying, is highly personalized. It's specific to who they are, not just to their company, but even to like the role that they play, conversations, things that we know of interest to them. And one of the things that we hear back is one, I think to your point about air cover, I see you guys everywhere and we're a startup. So we're really not everywhere. We're just everywhere they are. And the other part is they just, I can't tell you how many times they say, like, the way you've reached out to me is so personalized and how different that is and how many times we've been able to get meetings with really senior level people at really large enterprise organizations, because what we're doing is so different than kind of the constant spamming about webinars and eBooks that you were talking about earlier.
1: Yeah, it is. So here's, here's a quick, quick thought. At a conference I was speaking recently, I said, all right, raise your hand. How many of you send newsletter? And almost you can imagine like everyone, every one of them raised their hands. I'm like, perfect. Awesome. Now raise your hand if you think that when you don't send the newsletter, somebody will email you back and saying, I miss your newsletter. And guess what? <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. Nobody. And, and that should just tell us like, oh, OK, so we're sending email because it is a list of things to do. And nobody's ever going to say we miss your email, but we're going to keep sending them this newsletter because it is my job to send a newsletter. And that should just tell the plight of our B2B marketing, and which a lot of times say B2B stands for boring to boring right now. For most <laughs> organizations, and we need to change that to, like you know, become brave and and amazing. And and I think it takes it it will take courage uh, to do some of those things. And until we do that, uh, we're gonna be just checking the box and doing the status quo things.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually this morning. Um, so one of the things that we do before we send direct mail is we actually do like these personalized videos. So we'll send you an email and say, you know, and we've been talking to you or reaching out and we'll say so, you know like sangram like we're sending you a package and we do like an unboxing video of what's in the package that you're going to get and we had um a future customer this morning actually email us because it had been a couple of days and he hadn't gotten his package and he was like waiting for it to come and it turned out that um like for some reason the address was wrong and so we got, you know, and it hadn't gotten back from FedEx to us yet. So he reached out to our SDR and said, like, I haven't gotten the package. Like, I was really looking forward to this. Like, do you know where it's at? And so we were like, oh, it looks like, you know, like there must have been something wrong with the address that we had. Um, it was undeliverable. So it's coming back to us. We'll send you another one out. And he's like, great. Send me another one out. He's like, and like, as soon as I get it, like, let's schedule a meeting. And it was. To your point around like no one misses the email newsletter, but this guy was like literally waiting for the package we were going to send him because everything we'd done had been super personalized to him. He like knew what he was going to get and it had been like three business days and it hadn't arrived and he was kind of like, Hey, is it coming? Like what's going on? And it, it's just a different way of thinking about stuff. And it's been cool to see that type of stuff happen when you're doing stuff that really matters to that company and that person.
1: Yeah, you connected with them at a human level uh, on the things that matters to them, and it has a lasting impression than any other thing that you could do. So love that. Hats off to you guys. I mean, that is how we need to do. We need to just spend more time thinking about what we need to do before we go do it in, in these cases, because we do not treat our future customers the same way as we treat our customers. And if there was one takeaway from this whole conversation so far, I think that's what I would implore people to think about is that think about everyone you're connecting with as a human, as a person, not on a list, not a number. And it doesn't not, you don't need 10,000 people to sell. Chances are, if you're in B2B today, you probably can't even handle 10,000 customers if they came in tomorrow to service them and sell them and price them and do all that stuff. And the reality is if you close 100, 200, 500 deals this year, you would be like growing like, you know, 100% or more uh, very easily this year. So the question is not that you need 10,000 people or not, you absolutely don't need that. You need 100 great customers. And for that to get 100 great customers... The idea that you need to go after 100,000 people is absolutely false. That's where it flips the funnel in a way. And it says, no, no, no. find the 200 or 300 companies you want to sell to, focus on them, personalize the experience from direct mail to direct ads to landing pages to experiences online, offline, whatever it makes sense for your audience, whatever works for them. And once you do that, your win rate, and this is the kicker, this is why the story of Jillian is so interesting, is your win rate is going to be phenomenal. So it's not just a nice thing to do or a good marketing. It actually has business outcomes and business results, which is why this whole topic has been so hot, um, because the results are real.
0: So when you think about ABM, you, I mean, honestly helped create the category for account-based marketing. Is that something you set out to do or how did that kind of come about? And do you know that this was going to be like a new category and what's happening?
1: Let me be honest. Like, I don't think most companies go out there and say, all right, we're going to create a category. Like, I don't think it works that way because it creates a level of ego and a level of, um, you know, your lack of humility when you start thinking about like, we are category leaders. Uh, I think the we, came, we, we just cared about the problem and the problem was stayed up facing us. Less than 1% of the leads were turning to customers. We are based in Atlanta. Uh, at that time, we didn't really have a whole lot of funding. This was something not talked about a whole lot. And I honestly wanted to do an event called Terminus uh, to bring people together and talk about it. And I couldn't find sponsors. Uh, that's just a true story. To do this. Nobody really knew us. Nobody really cared about us. And we we're based in Atlanta, first time founders, like nobody really cared. And then we said, all right, what if you called it flip my funnel? This is an idea. I didn't even, I, I didn't even have a domain by that time. I didn't even have, I just wrote a blog that kind of went viral in B2B sense, which means me and my mom and two friends read it. Um, so it was, you know, so people say, Yeah, we would we would sponsor an event called Flip My Funnel, which is all about challenging the status quo of marketing and sales. And and all of a sudden we ended up having five events where we didn't have to pay a single dime as an organization, and 300, 400, 500, now a thousand people started to show up to that event paying like like nine hundred dollar tickets. And we're like, wait a minute, that's something. So, you know, in a sense it was it, it came out of a a entrepreneurial necessity where people and, and the lesson i think we learn in that process uh stephanie quite honestly is that when you have a problem when you're focused on the problem so much that you stop talking about your product but focus on people's problems and help them together to find a solution people will come along people will follow you people would stand by you people will wait for you outside the door like they do for apple and stuff and i think that's what we learned in this that this is possible in B2B. It's possible for you to be so excited and passionate about the problem that you would almost forget mentioning your own company. And people will remind you, like, hey, can you tell us more about terminus? Can you do this? And and that's honestly became a thing for us. So even today, when we do our flip map on our conference, Stephanie, we're a booth just like every other booth. We don't talk, we don't have a product keynote. We we say, hey, if you want to learn more about product, go and talk to the people at at the booth and we have a product room where we talk about product and demos and stuff like that. But at the conference, it's all about channeling the status quo. It's all about bringing amazing stories to life. It's all about showing how practitioners do it. And we haven't broken that tradition yet.
0: I think that's really important. It's just such a key difference because to your point, like I now trust you more as a marketer because you're not selling to me when you're talking about like flip my funnel, but because I find value in your content that immediately also helps me trust your brand and be intrigued enough to go learn more to see if it can help me with my problem.
1: Exactly. And I think, I think trust is the foundation of all relationships. It goes back to the very first few minutes we talked about the sales and marketing. It's trust, a business selling to another business. It is trust. Um, I I heard, um, I don't know if people have read a book, by uh, a good friend of mine called Todd Capone, he wrote a book on transparency sale. And he said, hey, look, people buy from uh, companies that may not have five star reviews because they, they believe that they are genuine about it or, or people on Amazon or stuff like that. So he was, he was trying to demystify this whole idea that the openly you tell about what you're good at, but more importantly, what you're not good at. The more you would actually sell, so it's really interesting how that comes around.
0: No, I it's that's a great book to read. I completely agree with it as well. So one of the things that I think has been really interesting around B two B marketing is this idea of mobile and where mobile fits in. Um, so in B2, in the B two C world, it's not uncommon to you know have native mobile apps, have you know text messaging programs and things like that. And I've started to see it come into B two B a little bit where you know, like SDRs or sales reps are starting to play around with texting future customers and things like that. How do you think about the role mobile can play in B2B? Because even though you're selling to a business, you're really selling to a human who is connected to their mobile device all the time.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think the closer you can get to the customer um, or future customer, the, the better it is in terms of conversations. So, it really became, I remember the days of like, just even today, that a lot of companies and a lot of people have a ton of forms to do anything. And, and what, what that's doing, less and less people are filling up the forms. So it's driving less and less leads, which is increasing the cost of the lead and people are spending more money to get leads. And it's just, it's a spiral that some people are starting to recognize that it's a never ending spiral. Now, the mobile aspect of it is is very interesting because I've seen it over and over again and I've seen it with our sales team over here at Terminus. The people that they're working with now actually have their cell phones. And Jim Tochi, one of our sales reps, is one of the best sales reps that I've ever worked with. He has cell phones of public company CMOs and, and, and like literally on cell phones and he's texting with them as he's talking through the deal and stuff like that beyond, beyond emails and stuff. And I'm like, dude, how are you able to get a? I I am a founder and chief evangelist of a company. I think I've done a couple of good things to hopefully have a cell phone number of some person like that. How do you have cell phone? I don't even have that. Like, how do you have that? And he's like, no, you just built a relationship where... They would say, you know what, just text me this. Or he would just say, Hey, here's my text number. Um, could you tell me if if you are going through pro- I mean, he just builds so much trust with that person that this the the, the CM of a, a public company or a CM of a fast growth company just say, Yeah, here's my text, just text me whenever you can when, when this happens. And that to me is a game changer.
0: It is, but I think what's really interesting, it goes back to trust, right? Like I've done that with um Reps too, or even like my account managers, once I've become a customer, because it honestly sometimes, especially as a leader, you're really busy. And sometimes the fastest way for me to respond to you is text if you need a quick answer and we're in the middle of a deal or we're in the middle of a, um, we're having an issue or something like that. But I also know that when I give my number to those people, like I trust that they're not going to abuse it and they're not going to send me a bunch of stuff that's not really informational or helpful to the situation and also it's always appropriate for something via text. Sangram is such a great example of being both a leader who's accomplished so much in his career yet also being humble at the same time. It's always a pleasure to chat with him and get his perspective on how companies can think differently about their marketing and what's just happening in the industry overall. Now let's get to my favorite part of the show where we take the education and apply it to your business. There are so many great insights from my conversation with Sangram that can really help transform how you think about marketing. Let's dive into my top three takeaways. First, we can't underestimate the value of someone giving us their mobile number. I can't repeat that enough, you guys. It doesn't matter if you're B2B or B2C or b 2 b to c it's one of the most personal ways to connect with someone. And minus the annoying robocalls that we get a little bit on our cell phones today, it's one of the few channels that really hasn't been overrun with spam yet. So, when a future customer, which Sangram Sam likes to call them, which I think is a really great way to think about what we typically call prospects in the past, gives you actually permission to communicate with them on their mobile device, you've got to honor it, which means don't call them incessantly. Like the last thing I want to see on my mobile phone is a vendor who's tried to call me 10 times in a row. Don't overly text me, give me time to respond be respectful. You've done something right to earn that privilege. Don't abuse it. It's the same thing when I give a B2C brand my mobile number for texting. Don't text me all the time. Tell me how many things you're going to send me and then do that. I know that I give my most trusted vendors, brands who I really enjoy hearing from, my mobile number so they can easily call or text me. And I've said this before, but as marketers, with a lot of privilege comes responsibility. And it's so important for us to use it the correct way and don't abuse it and don't require the government to come in and start regulating even more. Next. If you're not being authentic in your marketing efforts, then you're missing out on a huge opportunity. One of the references that Sangram and I talked about was this book called The Transparency Cell. It was written by Taka Pony, who Sangram and I both have the pleasure of working with. And one of the things that Todd talks about in this book, which I think is really, really insightful, is this idea of being honest and transparent throughout your sales process. And how people buy from companies that don't have five star reviews. So if your company has, you know, a 4.2 star review, that's okay, because that feels more real and authentic. So if you haven't checked out his book, you definitely should. It's a great read. I think anyone can learn a lot from it. And the same thing needs to be taken into account for your marketing efforts. If you're not being true to your brand and it doesn't come across as who you are, people can tell. The same thing goes for your content. I can't tell you how many times I see content created where they, it's portrayed as being something helpful. And then once you dive into it, you realize this is nothing more than just a promotion for that brand. Everyone calls BS on that stuff. That's why I love what Sangram and team are doing at the Flip My Funnel conference. It's not really tied to their company. It's about the movement. And then, you know, Terminus does have a booth, but it's like everyone else. I wish more companies would market that way. And try and be helpful to you and really provide you with the information, guidance that you need. Because that's someone I want to partner with. Finally, I loved how Sangram said B2B marketing sometimes should be called boring to boring. Because let's be honest, it's so true. I've seen a ton of boring marketing in both B2B but also B2C lately. And we know that everyone hates to be marketed to, right? We don't love it as marketers. Consumers don't love it. Yet I see so many of us doing the same tactics over and over again. Where's the innovation? Where's the creativity? We can all do better to engage our future and current customers. Let's make a real effort to try and wow them. Now, here's my marketing challenge for the week. Ask yourself, first, do you send out an email newsletter? Chances are the answer is yes. If you stopped, would anyone notice? Would any subscriber actually reach out to you and ask you where it's at? If not, that should actually probably tell you something. You're probably just spending time working on something that people don't really care a ton about. So are you spending your time doing the right things? And I'm just picking on email newsletter letters as an example, but are you doing things and going through the motions with your marketing because that's what you've always done? Or are you constantly iterating your marketing efforts and spending time thinking about what strategies and tactics actually drive engagement and results? That's what we all need to be doing. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit limivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.